0: What is up, guys? Motorcycle Dad with Tito. How are you guys doing? Hope everybody's doing good. Sorry for my little hiatus. Okay, sorry, but not sorry. Uh, I was gone for a few days, a couple days in California. Got a chance to see a really good brother of mine, have some breakfast at a really cool place. So, special shout out to Hacksaw. Thank you, brother. And if you guys are in the Fullerton, California area, or if you're going to Disney or anything like that, make sure you stop by this place called Wings. It's a restaurant in Fullerton that's right on the flight line. And ask any air wing Marine. Me and my wife were talking about this on the drive back to Vegas. It's like, dude, there's times where I miss living near a flight line. The rotor wash used to put me to sleep at night. I know that sounds funky as fuck, but... If you lived in the barracks, we were right on the flight line, most maintainers, and that's what you listen to, flight ops, until usually around midnight or wherever they secure the airfield. You were listening to Rotor wash because they were doing night flights, and it's kind of therapeutic, but even though not a lot of helos out there, it was still nice to see it. My kid, we were sitting there right there. Our table was literally, you look through the glass, and you're looking right there. You're on the flight line. You see uh plane spinning up, helicopter spinning up, it was amazing. Great chow, uh, great company. Just great overall way to head back to Vegas. Uh, afterwards, guys, I got a little sick. Uh, pushed myself a little bit too hard at Disney. And, uh, cause we spent about 13, 14 solid hours there. It was, a, it was an exhausting day at the park. Any parent that hears this right now, I hope you feel my pain. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Pushing the stroller dodging people don't get me wrong it was a fantastic time i always have a great time at disneyland or disney world whenever we go I always get my money's worth but still you know i can be uh i even had this shit where i was being trifling as fuck at the beginning of the day i was like i don't give a fuck i was telling my daughter hey baby if anybody gets close to us start kicking ankles i was like kick em, kick them i know that sounds horrible as a parent but well, i mean my kid my rules uh, I was even at one point about to start clipping Achilles heels with people like the slow draggers and stuff, but I didn't hit anybody. Nobody got clipped. I think I got clipped on accident, and then I accidentally cri- uh, clipped Christina, and she was she was actually kind of pissed at me because of all the shit that I was talking throughout the day about taking people's ankles out and not giving a fuck because we're trying to go see uh, you know get on the Millennium Falcon again and all that stuff. Pretty funny, and then. Uh, some of our friends also came out from Vegas to surprise us. They did a little cannonball run out themselves. And we ended up getting pictures with Chewie and Darth Vader. And I was just talking mad shit. Like, I was telling Darth Vader, he's the kind of dude that uh, reneges and cuts his spades. And I was like, Chewie's for the people. I'm telling you guys, look, for all the thousands of people come through there, those guys are super professional, even though I'm not. So, uh, we had a great, long story short, we had a great time at Disney, I got a little sick when I came back, so I was down for the count for a day, plus my back was fucking shit, and then, you know, yesterday I was busy all day, uh, cleaning up all the remnants of the road trip, and all that, I had to change some tires on a buddy's bike, brother of mine, uh, he was going on a road trip, needed to get some tires, now we tried the RevZilla route, and this is a lesson we learned, I'm going to tell you guys right now. Revzilla, they ship from multiple warehouses. So if you order something, like say we have a, you know, for instance, we have a warehouse here in Vegas, they only allow you to track the uh, tracking. If you log in, make a login and all that bullshit, then you can track it. But even then, it doesn't give you like accurate tracking. It gives you like, you know, guesstimated tracking. Uh, It's actually halfway decent. But as he learned talking on to, to the customer service rep. One of the warehouses that one of his tires was coming from, there have a tendency of being bad about changing the statuses of particular orders or so on and so forth. So he didn't know when a particular tire was coming in. Now, granted, Revzilla has great customer service because they, you know, he's getting a return and he's returning for a credit and all the shit. And they already sent him the shipping, the return label, and everything. So he's got that all down pat. But still, we had to do a little bit of maneuvering. He had to go get some tires here locally so I can put them on here. We mountain balanced those things yesterday. Uh, got him on the road safe. And let me tell you what. It's funny. I'm going to tell you guys one thing. And I'm going to bring my little tech tip early for this is your average. You're your tinker tinkering in the garage guy. You, you know I mean? You're not too serious with motor work and stuff. But you still like doing oil changes and detailing and shit. Get a fucking lift. Go to Harbor Freight and buy that fucking $300, $289 with a coupon lift. I'm telling you right now, as a technician that has worked on the ground, you'll do what you got to do as a tech. There ain't nothing like putting a bike on the lift and being able to see shit that you don't have to get on the ground and bend over and kill yourself because you're not giving 100% of your attention most of the time when you're doing that unless you're down on the ground for a specific job like hey i'm down here to do this thing right here and you're focusing on that it's it's very difficult to free your mind and look at other things and start you know wandering around because you just want to get your job done get up off the ground and be done with it but i suggest everybody go and get one of those if you have the space i'm telling you it actually helps consolidate space as well because your bike's not on the kickstand taking up as much room you're actually able to see stuff lift things, you know and it was funny because even my, uh, my my brother yesterday, he was looking and he was like, dude, I didn't even know half the shit down here was dirty. He keeps his bike pretty clean. And it's like, dude, you'd be amazed. And he was like, yeah, I got rid of my lift. I wish I never got rid of it. So he's going to go get another one. Uh, now, if you're t- thinking about opening up a motorcycle shop, probably not the best idea because it is a foot pump. You know, that it is. These lifts are meant for your home tinkering guy, not for your fucking everyday shop use. Everyday shop use, go get a KL and l go get a handy. Or if you're the kind of guy that you've got bikes in and out like that, I would suggest get one of those and make the investment in yourself. But, either way, go get a lift because it'll make your life easier one way or another. Whether it's you want to learn how to check your you know, chain you know, your chain tension or any of that shit, whatever it is, if you're starting small, starting big, no matter what, the Harbor Freight lift, I'll tell you right now, it's worth its fucking weight in gold. I... On mine, personally, I swapped the wheel chalk out because I didn't like the wheel chalk. It was a little sketchy. So, I just swapped it out and then I used straps. It's not a big deal. Like, people try to fucking gather, ooh, piece of shit. Well, I would rather work on that piece of shit lift that I put baggers on, I put all sorts of shit on. Now, you're talking about long-term lift to leave a bagger up on it? Probably not. You know, jacked up? Probably not the best idea. But... Sport bike because it has a thousand pound weight capacity. So, I mean, you're still in there technically with some, most of your electric lines, most of your baggers. So it's not like you're going to break the thing. It's just, look, go get a fucking lift. Long story short. Okay, guys. So moving on to my next topic. Uh, I want to give a special shout out to a motorcycle manufacturer that I'm, uh, I've grown to become a fan of. I'm still learning a lot about them myself. But I want to sit here and tell you that I'm I'm a huge fan just right off the back for purely what they're doing and what I see from their company. Um, To me, uh, I always joke around and tell people, uh, this is what Harley should have became. And I'm going to give a special shout out to Arch Motorcycles. Okay, If anybody is not familiar with Arch Motorcycles, uh, it was founded by Keanu Reeves. Fucking Keanu Reeves, the actor, the you know fucking Young Wick, like, like Young Wick, isn't that motherfucker making motorcycles with a guy also named? And please, please, dude, forgive me if I butcher this because I'm horrible with names. I I'm, I'm that motherfucker that's up in class. hey A hey, Ron, you don't fucked up now. Go see O'Shag Hennessy. Um, I want to say his name is Guard Holligan. Uh, I, I I probably wrote that down wrong in my notes. Uh, So I absolutely fucking apologize. Please, please, please go to Arch Motorcycle website and correct me if you could. Um, But those two founded Arch Motorcycles in 2011. Um, Like I said, I think it's what Harley should have became. These guys are using V-Twin Motors in custom built motorcycles using a specific type of frame obviously the arch frame that they designed but they're using a lot of premier products like only suspension front and rear fully adjustable uh they're making their frames and sub uh, sub frames out of between billeted steel tube steel and also billeted aluminum that they see and see custom in their own facility so I think there's very few things that are coming uh, from outside of the actual factory. Like, the, obviously, the motors, they're using SS the S&S motors. They're using the, the 124 cubic inches. <laughs> so, it's like, they even surpassed Harley on that part of it. But I, I'm always a huge fan of S&S. I think they make a great product. Uh, I think th- there's a reason why S&- companies like S&S and Fueling have been able to be so successful is because, you know... Harley didn't quite finish the job like they were supposed to in certain things so they went in there and fine tuned things and made it what it should have been. So I, I think it's phenomenal to see the S&S 124 cubic inch motor in there and for you, when you're looking at power to weight ratio it's, it's pretty ridiculous because when you're looking at these motorcycles it looks like what the V-Rod should have evolved into had Harley actually designed themselves and kept Going with it because I hear that yeah Harley designed it Porsche engineered it. Well, I'm like this. If it's that much question behind it, you didn't fucking design it, you know. If even if all you do is you stole a couple Porsche guys over into the Harley world, and maybe I'll do this story. I'll do that story on another podcast. I'll go down that. I'll research it a little bit more because I truthfully myself, I don't know that story 100. uh, But. From what I know, I guess it was Porsche designed the d rod for Harley, where they had a couple engineers. You ask out some Harley, they get super fucking defensive, and like, no, Harley made it. And then you ask haters, and they're like, yo, man, Porsche made that fucking bike. But long story short, Arch, I think, is what it evolved into from that, and I think it's a better product because they're constantly evolving. And not only that, these guys are custom making a motorcycle to the person that's buying it so basically they're gonna size and set up your controls everything is based on the rider itself which to me is like the ultimate fucking nut job of all like yes that's what you want that's the fucking lottery bike that's a if i win if i win the lottery or if i get a significant amount of money somehow i'm buying that motherfucker or if you're the kind of person you don't have to be rich being honest with you, but if you believe in quality and investing, you know, if people are out there spending $40,000 on a fucking Harley, you can just buy off the showroom floor. There's some people out there that may want to spend that kind of money on a custom made motorcycle. I'm one of those people. Uh, I'm telling you right now, being a multiple motorcycle owner, if I can get the opportunity to buy an arch motorcycle, I will. Um, It's definitely a bike that's going to go in my collection. And you're talking about somebody that I have a lot of respect for a lot of different kinds of riding. But they are just so well-made. You know, frames are made in-house. They even have a model, the 1S, with a single-sided swing arm, which is the first. And then, like I said, the the only suspension they have on there is fully adjustable front and rear. The rear also, mono-mounted with a reservoir. And they were, they, they started this back in 2011, guys. This isn't like, oh, they just started doing it, Harley did it. Like, Harley's the one that's behind the curve on a lot of people. So... Special special shout out to Arch Motorcycles. And this is why another reason why I even give these guys a shout out. I want to tell you guys, go check out their website. Go check out their Instagram, their Facebook, and see what they're about. Because sometimes simplicity is key. And the look of the bike is simplistic. At the same time, it's not. The lines and the flow of the motorcycle look absolutely fucking beautiful. But you can see the brain power that went into making it like that it's almost like cooking like i like watching a lot of cooking shows and shit like that and mostly and you can correct me if i'm wrong anybody out there like i said because i get all of the information off the internet but it seems like sometimes the most the simplest dishes are the hardest to make and that's because it's easier to pinpoint your mistakes the way not saying that they're simple in the way of just being oh like anybody could do it but the simplicity of their lines and the beauty of them, along with engineering and the, you know, the creativity it takes into developing it, it's absolutely beautiful. It's like one of these simple, simple dishes that you see a chef make that it's like, dude, that's really fucking hard to make. Even like tattooing. Some of my friends that are tattooists have told me, like, dude, some of the hardest shit to do is the simplest things because your mistakes are that much more noticeable. So you go look at them. You see their line work. You see where you think their mistakes are. See if you can. not I don't see any mistakes. I just see constant evolution out of these guys. So, uh, Keanu, John Wick. I love dogs, bro. And, uh, let me buy a motorcycle off of you. You guys are awesome. So, um, that being said, guys, my next segment, I'm going to break into day two and day three of the backcountry expedition trip in Colorado. Uh, I was trying to wait for Tony, uh, but Tony, he got really busy, you know, his family's got a business, the guy's got a heart of gold. He's always helping people. And then sometimes he, he's got to take care of himself too. So we really haven't had time to link up because he's just been so busy and then he wasn't feeling good. I wasn't feeling life happens, guys. Shit happens, but the show's got to go on. I promised you guys, uh, some more insight on that. If I can get Tony on later to fill in some more of the blanks from day two. I will, because when day two and day three were two separate days, day two, it was myself and Julia, the other owner of the company that were in the Jeep, you know, setting up the, the next spot. Tony had been with those, uh, the group of riders the entire time. It wasn't until day three where I joined Tony and the rest of the group, but day three was the biggest bang because it was the Alpine loop, which I'll explain that in the next segment, guys. So, uh sorry for the hiatus life happens shit fucking happens you got to keep rolling with the punches and uh today felt like a good day you know i got the kid the kid on lock i'm about matter of fact that's the reason why i got to break this into segments because i gotta go check my kid make sure she's straight take care of her needs and whatnot and then i'll come right back and we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna bang out uh day two and day three of the backcountry expedition trip in uray colorado all right thanks for the listen guys thanks for the support Hey guys, Motorcycle Dad with Tito. Coming back to with day two and day three of the ride with Backcountry Expedition out of uh Uray, Colorado. Okay, so me personally on day two, uh, I was still in a separate Jeep support. Um, so I was driving out to the location where they agreed on in the morning to go ahead and uh you know, get lunch set up and get everything set up. And, and sometimes it took us longer to get there because we were using service roads, whereas these guys were just going over the passes. So they were making it there a little quicker. So on this day in particular, they had the, the morning brief where, you know, Neil, he goes over the ride, goes over any safety stuff. The entire time, all the support team were trying to hand these guys water. You know, hey, look, you need to fill up your camelback or your climbback hydration pack you know, handing them snacks, making sure their, their bikes are good. Uh, special shout out one of the guys, Glenn, that guy was awesome. He was always wanting in the morning with us up, getting their bikes ready and getting everything ready to go. And that's what you gotta do, your pre-flights. We you go out there, we double check the bikes. We had a little, uh, Neil asked us to set up a uh, tire pressure station. So that way, because remember guys, when you're riding off-roading, you gotta air those tires down a little bit. Uh, he usually like to run the bigger bikes at 30-30. Uh, it seems like they get better grip. A lot of guys, the first day, they were running higher pressures, and they noticed they had some problems, and then we lowered those pressures by like three or four pounds. They got a lot better grip, they had better handling, had a little bit better time. Not only that, a little bit less fatigue when you're not fighting the motorcycle nearly as much, especially when you talk about these huge adventure bikes. Okay, So these guys were about kickstands up around nine thirty. Uh, myself and Julia would get the chow that was catered from the uh, from the hotel. And basically what I was doing was I was going out there and warming the stuff up. He'd give it to me in a big cambro. Any military guys, if you remember the green uh, rubberized container things that they served as hot chow in the field in, one of those except what the civilians get, which is nicer because it had a little train search where these guys had everything set up for us chips, cookies, condiments, the food, all that shit was in this container. One thing I had to do is throw it in the bag, strap it in because we were doing some off-roading and get ready to go. So on this particular day, we had to leave literally as soon as the group left. Usually we had about a 30, 45 minute window. Uh, today we had to leave on the day two, we had to leave on time. So what we did was we left, we took the 550, which is a Million Dollar Highway, around to Silverton. Uh, it's about 35 minutes away from Ure. Uh, driving through the mountains, like me and Tony are explaining to you guys, it is absolutely beautiful. These mountains, and you're driving through. You're about eight. You're eight thousand. You're seven thousand feet climbing. Okay. In correction, because me and Tony, I think we're off on our altitude a little bit. Uh, at Ure, you're sitting at about 7,800 feet above sea level. Once you get up to Silverton, you're about 9,300 feet. Above sea level okay and then variations throughout the passes I think the highest we got was 13,000 uh, that there's points out there where it is about 14,000 is the highest we're looking at some of these peaks out there in the greater Alpine loop area so we came in through this little small town called Silverton really cool mining town you can rent ATVs jeeps side-by-sides whatever uh, they even had a Harley shop there it was known as the, the highest Harley Davidson the world or something like that because of altitude uh, but it, it was it was just a clothing store but still shout out to harley for putting the shop all the way the fuck out there to see their power um, you know that's where you're going to fuel up and whatnot because uh, we had a support truck with us just in case also you know somebody broke down or whatnot so we try to position the support truck in a good a good spot to where we can get to anywhere where they're riding in that day you know very quickly to recover the bike if we had to i mean these guys they think of everything so at this point, you know, we parked the support truck, me and Julie go to set up where we're going to this place. It's called California Gulch, okay? It's over by California Pass in the greater Alpine Loop area. Um, looking at day three, not too technical to get there. It was just time consuming. Guys, to look at mother nature and what it's capable of, you're talking, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, you could see on the mountains where there were avalanches that came down. And we actually had to drive through a portion where they had just cut the trees and cleared the road. And you're still driving through avalanche. Like, at least I want to say there sections where it was about 12 to 13 feet high, at least, middle. And you had full-grown, like, huge fucking trees. The entire tree ripped out the roots, still stuck in the snow. And here it is. It's pretty much, they're about a week or two away from getting snow up there anyways. And that's it. And there's a cut through the bottom where the river had made its way back through the snow and just cut through the snow. And the water looked blue, like, holy shit, man. Like, Coors Light came, dang all, man, mountains are blue, man, They on. That's how it looked. It was pretty amazing. So, it took us about an hour to get out there from Silverton to the point out in California Gulch. But it looked like something out of... A movie like Braveheart or something, the terrain was absolutely beautiful. Um, along the way, you see all these old abandoned mines on these roads. And mind you, these are only four by four roads, most of them. Um, you know, we drove around this area to see the mines. There's a couple of abandoned mines to see maybe if we could set up like right in the entryway. Because the day before, we were set up in an old uh, metal building next to the mine, and it was a little bit easier, more sturdy, wasn't around on this time we couldn't go out there. There was there was a couple parts of the there were a couple of mines or historic buildings we weren't even allowed near them, and then there was a couple of mines that was just like it was just they were caved in, so it was like no point. So I we ended up setting up in an old mine structure. I guess it was some building at some point. It's concrete base, and the top half of the building is gone. And how they got all and mind you how they got out any of the stuff out there, guys, is beyond me. Like it's it's crazy. We're talking about the outer reaches frontier shit so we set up in because the wind was very strong we set up everything uh matter of fact that day was broad so i'm out there grilling and uh these guys show up out of the middle of nowhere you know of course like usual i think they came over california and hurricane pass which is a couple more technical routes and you're talking about you're about twelve thousand, almost thirteen thousand feet at that point uh, those passes they came over so, uh, you know, they, they came, they ate, we broke everything down and we drove back. And by the time we got back, I want to say it was about maybe 30 minutes later, these guys came rolling in. So by the time the day finished, it was around, one, want to say 4.45, 5 o'clock. And the same thing as days before, we had cold beers waiting for them. You know, then they had their cocktail hour around six and then dinner and stuff. And it was just really great experience for those guys. So going into day three, so we changed it up a little bit because day three, uh, I was just gonna ride with Tony because Julia was staying back in the rear because where they were going, we were doing the entire Alpine loop that day. It was easier to keep the recovery truck there as a middle ground point to get to either Lake City, which is about, I think, an hour away or come around the other side. So it was just easier just to stay there. And myself and Tony went out in one g Now, I'm gonna tell you right now, if I ever gotta rob a gold mine in the middle of nowhere, Tony's my wheelman. Cause there was some sketchiness, <laughs> and mind you, I'm a little bitch of heights, so don't don't take it out of control when it comes to that. It was pretty, it was pretty exciting and exhilarating. But I'm gonna break into that one here in one second, okay? Thanks for listening, guys. Hey, guys, back to go over day three. Uh, apologize for your break, but I'm not sorry, but I'm not sorry. Uh, it is Motorcycle Dad with Tito. And guess what? I'm a dad. So anybody that's a dad or has been a stay at home parent, you know, I'll probably get about uh, usually three minutes of privacy to myself at most between the cat and the kid. So either way, uh, we're going to get on to day three. All right. So day three, I was in the Jeep with Tony, Ventantonio. My wheel man, dude, my, my, my partner in crime, salt of the earth. And it's funny cause he's so unsuspecting, but man, that dude's a hit man when it comes to being a wheel man. I mean, he had such confidence driving that fucking Jeep up some of these trails where I would even be sketched out and driving. But, uh, you know, I didn't want to fuck with his mojo. It was fucking funny cause there was a couple times where the altitude got to me because you're talking about, look, here in Vegas, I think we're about 2000. Uh, feet above sea level and then now we're going on trails we're about 11 10 between 10 to 12 so I got a little bit of altitude sickness and then being up that high you know I'm not trying to be a dark green marine or no shit but hey look I'm cool with flying in helicopters I could do that shit all fucking day love it but uh yeah it put me on a mountain about thousand square feet you know you know thousand foot drop-offs and shit uh yeah and then altitude sickness it gets a little sketchy. But still in the same sense, these guys were monsters. They rode with such confidence up that mountain. Um, it was great to see that. Um, Neil also was being safe. There was actually one pass in the entire Alpine Loop that I think he hadn't gone up that season, so he wanted to check it out. And not only that, the hotel owner kind of told us the night before that, oh, yeah, you know, somebody on the side-by-side side biffed it, you know, up there the day before. Unfortunately, you know, rest in peace. Yeah, you know, he said there were a local that was up there, you know, on their side by side and went over a 500 foot drop off. They're up there, I guess, dicking around or something. I'm not sure. Uh, one of them died. Uh, the other one was an ICU last we heard. I hope, or, you know, the one I hope the other one lived. But that's how serious it is up there, guys. It's, it's no joke. And, you know, it's funny because he said it's actually the people that live there that have the tendency of getting in the most accidents than the people that rent the side by sides and quads. And just go riding because they're more cautious they're looking out whereas the guys are like oh i've been up there a million times on the mountain well guess what mountains can kill you so um but either way neil is an amazing rider i mean at first we were like man you know it's taking about 15 20 minutes and then it took us like 45 minutes to get up there <laughs> to go to show you how how much how good of a rider he is man. he's really great uh dude's a beast and he guided him up, you know, we had a situation where one of the guys, he uh, he fell, so we were able to, to help and support. And the biggest thing when you're riding on mountains like that, guys, even if you're unfamiliar, is just use courtesy. Uh, you know, Use common courtesy. Always wave somebody on, try to give them the right of way as much as possible. I think the rule of thumb is if they're coming down, they have the right of way. So you try to pull off as close as you can to the side or get off to a good pull off point and allow a good flow to happen. And there was people that were just there to help out and you know it's when when you're out there you're gonna meet some beautiful people uh there's gonna be some dickhead youngins out there too but that's just like any riding or any kind of thing so uh but I digress so this day we started we went from one of the more difficult routes for corkscrew over by the gulch which by the way we got pulled over by the boys because you know we were going a little bit fast but they gave us the small town sheriff talk and let us go. So us as friends, we had a great time. Uh, Corkscrew Gulch to Hurricane Pass to California Gulch. And then these guys came around and think they broke off to Cinnamon Pass. Oh no, that was when we broke off to around Engineers to complete the loop. So we stopped at Animus Forks, went around to Engineers that took us into this place called Lake City. Very small town first time I had cell phone signal in a while and it was 3G. I was like, yo, what the fuck is a 3G? Like, that shit still exists? I thought we haven't had 3G since I was in fucking high school. 3G. So a lot of these places, mind you guys, once they get frozen in from the winter, these people are there. So it's pretty crazy. But, Lake City, you're about 8,600 square feet. We came around. It was a nice little drive through the town. And then we hit it hard again on the 30, coming back around. And this is where we came over to Cinnamon Pass, which is 12,600 square feet through grizzly gulch now in this section we're we're doing we were murking a little bit we're we're doing some some pretty cool stuff tony got me splashed with some mud a little bit i'm um, glad we strapped everything in and we had some pretty cool stuff so we got to the top of cinnamon pass uh one of the guys is ktms actually because and i say this is a pdi issue uh all the bolts weren't secure because he Throughout the duration of the ride that day, I think we had to stop twice for him because bolts had fell out and stuff, and we were able to fix it right there on the side of the road, me and Tony and Neil. But the last thing that broke was the front fairing. The bolts had been popping out, and then finally a piece of the frame actually snapped. So we had to jerry-rig this thing to get it back down the mountain. And then finally when we get to about animus forks where we got to about the avalanche area that we were at the day before was finally the point where uh it gave out and dude thankfully some guy had the huge zip ties like the big big mamma jammas i think the 14 inchers or whatever the fuck they are guy just happened to be in a they had a little forerunner group right there stopping at the avalanche and uh he happened to have some and we zip tied it because from there it was about another 10 minutes of riding on off of roads where it was, like, pretty rocky. And then it was service roads all the way back because we came back through Silverton. Uh, I topped the guys off with fuel because we had fuel in the truck with us for support. Um, and then we took the 550 from Silverton all the way back to Hurray. It was a full day's worth riding. Uh, these guys left around, I think it was around 915, 930, kickstands up and got back to... Uh, we got back to Array to Twin Peaks Lodge right in time. I think it was like the clouds were coming in, weather was starting to turn. We got back into the valley. Uh, shit, I want to say it was around 6.30 or 6 o'clock, maybe something like that. It was around, no, It was like 5.50 or something like that. So really good timing. The entire Alpine Loop, it was around 80-something miles. But I'm going to tell you right now, guys, it's 80-something miles of going up and down terrain that is pretty mind-boggling think you'd only see this shit in movies um now obviously if you're doing the alpine loop itself you're talking about uh you're renting a side by side you're renting a jeep or you're taking an adventure motorcycle or dirt bike of some kind um but just the 550 the million dollar highway going into silverton and uray and uh durango itself is absolutely beautiful just have to do it before the snow hits because it's that it's that you know frontier out there guys where it's after the snow comes in they shut certain roads down for the season and you're not getting through because there's too much risk of avalanche now the final night when these guys got back uh they had the final dinner and these guys they had to be up early to go to denver because it was about a five-hour drive for them to get to the airport but uh Neil had a beautiful presentation Backcountry Expedition Period had a beautiful presentation a Photographer came out To present them with a canvas print From their first day of their lunches, And you know and I'm telling you right now these guys are the salt of the earth Considering uh, you know the, the level of wealth that they have But the down to earthness And not only that they're Jets fans <laughs> So they feel my pain Being a Giants fan and, and I mean you're just talking about great guys I mean like you have this uh, kind of preconnotation of what people are like with that much money, and you're like, "Oh yeah, they'll be douchebags or nothing." Far from it, and you can see why because the type of person that it takes to, you know, to be like to be like, "Look, I'm gonna go do that the Alpine Loop, backcountry byway in Colorado." It's uh, it, it's not for the light at heart. You're not talking about a guy that's buying a BMW GS and he's gonna drive it to Starbucks. Uh, These guys have only been riding for a year, they told me. You know, adventure riding like this. And to see the level of skill that they have in a year... I'll be honest with you. Some of these guys surpass me because that's what all they're doing is just that kind of riding uh, predominantly. But I was sitting there talking to a few of them. They got Road Glides, Harleys. These guys are motorcycle enthusiasts, period, and just life enthusiasts. And I got to say personally just talking with these gentlemen who are the customers or you know our you know friend customers the, these guys are amazing uh i mean salt of the earth you know even talking to them about some some business uh, stuff from myself and tony personally they, they were just like you know go for it you guys got this you're good people and there's not a lot of people out there like that guys especially when you think about with a level of wealth we have this pregnotation of all all wealthy people are douchebags and such and no no they're not you know not all of them are yeah they're a good amount i mean look you're talking about the general population military recruits out of general population general population generally people suck but what you're looking for in life are the special ones and, the, and these guys are a special group of people that you can tell have fun with each other they do everything as a family uh, unit and it, it's just beautiful thing to see especially in the sport because you can see the excitement and the memories that these guys are building, and that's what this sport is about. Whether you're adventure riding, and and that's and that's another thing about this area here, the Alpine Loop area. You saw everything from dirt side by side. You saw your street riders. You saw Harley riders. You know, I saw guys out there with leathers. They're going to hit it up. You know, so that was the most beautiful part about it to me was seeing. All of that in one little place and all that, as beautiful as it was. It was kind of funny because I still remember what the first day would be at Tony Coppola. I was like, Motherfucker, where we at? Dante's Peak? Because that's almost the, the best way I can describe it because the pictures don't truly do it justice. We even joke because, you know, T- Tony, the freaking so you know, Tony the Tiger, that on Rocky Babo over here. I even looked at some of the mountains it was like, Yo, man, in that mountain you climb in Rocky 4, you're like, Drago! Because that's the beauty of this place. I mean, hot springs, everything is beautiful. Look, if you don't have it on your bucket list, put it on your fucking bucket list. Go to Colorado and ride to 550. I'm telling you right now, put it on there. Look, Backcountry Country Expedition, uh, I'm going to be working with them again here in the f- near future. He's got a few more trips that, you know, we're going to be working with him on and hopefully doing some more collab stuff uh, in the future in, in our endeavors. And... I think it's gonna be pretty cool. I it, it's helping lighten the fire in, in my belly and me and Tony were so pumped on the way back from that trip because that's what our sport is about. It's about building those memories with people, it's about seeing the smile on people's faces, even in the middle of nowhere, and Uray, Colorado. So if you guys get a chance, I highly suggest. Go check out 550, go check out Uray, Silverton, Colorado, Durango, Colorado. Go check out these beautiful places in our country. Go go see them. I'm just saying, just go see the shit. Get up off your ass or make a plan and fucking execute the plan and go see it. Neil, Julia, Backcountry Expeditions, you guys are awesome. I'm looking forward to working with you guys again. Okay? Next segment coming up. Hey guys last segment of this episode all right this thing i'm gonna go over my uh modular helmet theory and also my tech tip of the week okay so modular helmets have a tendency of being a little bit more popular with your harley cruiser riders have a tendency i'm not saying that's the only demographic that wears it there's a lot of people that prefer wearing modular helmets these days and now the technology is getting better for locking systems and everything where modular helmets are getting safer. Um, it's getting to the point where you have companies that I think should have no business getting into it, getting into it, AGV, um, make fucking helmets for skinny fucking head people, not big fat head people. That's my beef with them. Italian cut head motherfuckers, not, not American cut, <laughs> uh, but these are my top pick for modular helmets. I like the fact that there are a lot more people switching to modular helmets. I don't like seeing the half shells. I've been guilty. I'll be honest with you as a tech. I have a tendency of wearing a half shell helmet when test rides so I can hear shit. And it's hard for the wind to hear, but when I'm listening for certain characteristics on the motor and around the dealership, just throwing a half shell on is a lot easier than trying to throw a full face on all the fucking time but modular helmets are getting more and more popular with harley riders because when you're on the road you can pull it down and get that protection you need but then when you're stopping somewhere like at a stoplight you can just lift it up and get some of that airflow okay um, your most budget friendly uh cost efficient it's gonna be HJC. um that's kind of their thing as a brand anyways uh now they do make higher-end helmets don't get me wrong i'm not gonna sit here and knock them they do make high-end helmets but their typical demographic is a little bit more budget friendly, your everyday rider. So HJC makes a pretty good one. Okay. Next one that I see it's going to take over this year is going to be the Simpson mod bandit. Okay. It's going to rule the bagger world. It's going to rule the Harley world. I think it's just going to take over period this, this year. Uh, Simpson a lot of people know the Simpson bandit is really popular with your diner crew, your diner crowd, the SoCal guys that get their their bandits custom airbrushed. You know, that's that's part of the scene out there, and that's been spreading around the country. A lot more guys are going to that bandit look, and there's even some companies like Beltwell that have imitated the Simpson bandit look. They're imitating that. So you know, it's very popular, and now they're offering a modular helmet, which means that whole front piece pops up. So you get full, like, three quarter view, and then you can pop it back down. Uh, I think they're going to take it over this year, just because the Simpson Bandit line is already popular with a lot of Harley Donna kids. Uh, and I think it's just going to take over because a lot of people, it could transition to a lot of different things. So um, next on my list is going to be a Shoei Neotech 2. Uh, great helmet. It has everything built in for you to put all the comms in there and whatnot already. So it's definitely your, one of your top end. You're more serious. I'm going to say this is your more sport touring guy This is going to have this this showy. And not only that, not just sport touring, but anybody a little bit more serious in their, in their uh, helmet game. Um, I'm going to give honorable mentions to Bell. Bell also makes the cut and also Shark. They have some pretty good modular helmets, but they're on the lower end of the popularity scale when it came to this, okay? Look, no matter what the fuck I tell you, as far as what's popular, what's not, you have to go at one thing. Wear what feels comfortable for you, okay? Make sure the fucking helmet's DOT approved and it's safe. But beyond that, I mean, guys, realistically, your helmet, your head, your rules, you know, your helmet, your rules, you gotta wear what feels comfortable. Like I've told you guys in the past, I love some of these other brands, even some of the more expensive ones that I can't afford and I have bought them in the past. But for me, I have to go what fits my fucking big dome piece the best. And for me right now, that helmet is icon. Um, when I get more into some dirt riding, I'm gonna tell you right now, the Climb Cryos is going on in my head because it fits my head just right. Um, but I'm not there yet. So another thing for you guys. If you're not a hundred percent sure if it works for your type of riding, then maybe start with a more budget-friendly version of that. Like, so say your type of riding, you've been wanting to get into a modular, but you've been wearing a regular full face. Then don't go out and buy the $800 modular right off the back. Maybe go and buy the $300 HJC and see how it feels. See if you like it. See if you can see yourself wearing that fucking helmet before you go and invest in the big the big dog one. Um that's always gonna be my advice just to see because I've seen people they go and spend the 800 900 on the shit and then they never fucking wear it. Kind of a waste of time and money for everybody. Now somebody's gonna get a great deal because you're gonna end up selling that thing used or you're gonna keep it on the shelf and it's just a waste of money at that point. So that's gonna be my tip when it comes to the modular helmets. If anybody's got any disputes arguments or questions I can hit me up, let me know. All right, if you got any comments about that, or if you want me to cover a specific helmet group? Okay, now my uh, tech tip of the week, 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 Boo. all right, always 100% test ride. Okay, I've always been a full, firm preacher of this in my shops. Um, I know it can be difficult. And I'm telling you guys from experience, I've been in places like Miami, where if you try to grow three miles, that could be 30 minutes. And I've been in shops where we used to go five miles. Or I've been in shops to where we've had multiple test ride routes depending on the circumstances of what we need to do, okay? But I'm gonna tell you right now, the power of a test ride is ridiculous. And I think everybody should test ride everything. I even test ride bikes and I work one in my own garage. I've test ridden, and I've actually found shit that I fucked up on, and that's the purpose of a test ride. It doesn't have to be long, guys. It doesn't have to be 10 miles, but sometimes, say for instance, Miami shop, okay? We used to just go around the block, maybe hit a little bit of service streets, but just going around the block sometimes was enough just to get enough information like, okay, this is good. And sometimes shit, if it was super good, we'd go into the parking lot. What's up, baby girl? ahead and go pee-pees okay cool mm-hmm. that's my tech tip of the week too guys we gotta go pee go pee-pees <laughs> the dad of the, the life of a uh, motorcycle dad here guys but always test ride your motorcycles okay you never know what you're gonna catch you can catch something that you never even fucking touched or you can catch something that you touched and you left undone i found both circumstances I'm telling you guys, I wasn't a tech for a very long time, but there were several times that I came out on top because where I could have just been like, oh, no, I'm good. I don't have to test ride it. And look at this, my kid, here it is. She comes in uses the potty, bounces, does her thing all on her own. Such a proud dad. (laughs) But I digress. You know, uh, I've catched some small things that I miss and I've catched small things that somebody else has missed. And it didn't take a three, four mile test ride to catch it either. It took us going around the block, just going, you know, going around the speed bumps real quick to figure, or hit the speed bump, and hurt something rattle loose. Always, always, always test ride. Even if you're like, man, it's the last bike of the day and I'm fucking tired. Even if you're going to take the short test ride route, have test ride routes planned. Like, look, this is going to be my long one. That, that's what we did. We had a long test ride route. We had an average test ride route. And then we had a short one. So a short one was maybe like, you know, two miles, the medium one was three plus if we could, and then the long one was about, you know, a 10 mile test ride loop that we had to duplicate some serious problems. Because some customers will come in, and you ask them, when does it happen? Well, it doesn't happen until the bike is hot, and I'm at highway speeds, or I'm in this mile, blah, 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 blah. You're not gonna get that within the first three miles. So, that's part of the process. Also, service advisors, service riders out there, okay? Now, if you know that it's going to involve a little bit more test ride time and diagnosis, make sure you're giving your technicians time for that test ride. Because I know that's the biggest reason why some techs don't end up doing some of these test rides as they do. Because they're like, oh, well, I'm not getting paid for that. Make sure you're incorporating or you're accounting for that time when you're giving the diag- or when you're giving them diag time. Like, hey, look, it's to... You know, my tech, this is what my, one of my master techs used to tell me. I'm like, hey man, how much time do you need? Oh, I need an hour. Okay, now an hour for total and test ride? Yeah, hey sir, it's gonna be an hour 15, hour 30. Okay, now, I would go off the punch time too. So me and my technician would talk it out. I'm like, look man, I told him an hour and a half. If you, know, if you use less time, then we're just gonna go off your punch time. Is that okay with you? Because it's their money too. And most of the time, I'm in the middle and we either came right in on time or, you know, we were able to save the customer about 20, 30 minutes and there. But I always undersold and over-delivered, okay? It's the over-delivery. That's what you want to set that expectation. Don't, don't fucking be like, oh, yeah, we'll have it done in 30 minutes. And then, you know, you're an hour in. You got to ask for more shit and be thorough. So test, ride, test, ride, test, ride. Even if you don't think, I've, I've seen problems where I've heard about cooling issues on bikes and didn't replicate until you took it around the block. And as soon as you took it around the block and put the bike on load, you know, it duplicated itself again. But sitting there, it wasn't doing shit. Test ride your bikes. You never know what you're going to find. Okay. Look, guys, I appreciate all the support. It means a lot. It means a tremendous amount from you guys. I've reached, uh, just checked it this morning, 500 listens much appreciate it. This is just as much you guys victory as it is mine. Um, I'm going to open up the Instagram page. So I'll have all that information up here soon. I'm going to do that today. Later on, I got to go do some dad shit now and do some house shit. Cause I got to catch up on stuff from being out of town all these past few days. It's time to catch up with life and of that um, there's some big projects we're working on. Uh, we're, we're working on some, some pretty cool stuff. So I hope to bring that out to you guys here soon. Um, Please continue to give me feedback, guys. It's much appreciated. Uh, you know, here it is. One of my buddies, uh, Justin Trevetta, T. Riv, you know, me and him, I haven't talked to this guy since I got out the Marine Corps and because of this podcast, you know, I know we've been staying in touch with social media, but not too much, but it was great talking to him. He's down there at Freedom in, in Texas doing his thing, living that power sports industry struggle like we all do. But he's down there having fun. And that's what you got to do in this industry, guys. You guys got to have fun. You know, Justin, thanks for li- listening, bro. Thanks for the feedback. It was great talking to you. And we're going to have him on the podcast here soon. So, guys, if you need to get a hold of me, you got some feedback, you got a topic you want me to cover, go to our Facebook page, Motorcycle Dad with Tito. Um, just leave a comment, leave a post, leave a message, leave whatever you want. Leave a meme, leave a gif, gif, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um... I'm going to be opening the Instagram page, so I'm not going to get, but if you want to, in the meantime, Tito CP 702, I'll be getting the Instagram set up within the next couple days. And by the next episode, I'm going to drop probably at the end of this week. I'll have some more information on it for that. Um, also, if you got my number, just shoot me a text. If not, then you ain't got my shit. And I don't want you to talk to me like that. Just kidding. <laughs> Look, guys, uh, have a good week. It's hump day. Finish the week strong. Even if it started week, doesn't matter. It's not how you start. It's how you fucking finish. Crush the rest of this week. Crush it. Kill it. Go in there and take no fucking prisoners. Fucking take this shit out. Fucking have fun, guys. And just remember, have fucking fun and smile, okay? Yo, mad love and respect to everybody. Much love and respect to everybody. Whichever one you want to take it. And I'll see you when I see you. Peace.